Some good stuff here. So this morning we're getting into Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46 together. I'm entitled this morning, The Treasure and the Delight of the Purchaser. Um, So we have this treasure hunter, and then we're going to have this merchant. And these next two parables are very similar, and they're very short, as you guys can see. Jesus uh, here paints them with only a few strokes of his verbal brush for you and I. He was speaking to men of sight, but now he moves indoors to these men of faith. Now, to encourage and assure these men of faith so they will be strengthened, that they will be uh, heartened, confident, equipped for all service. So these twin parables, they teach the same general lesson for you and I, namely the incomparable worth and then the ultimate triumph of the kingdom of God. And we've been talking a lot in the Gospel of Matthew about the kingdom of God. Yet, as with these identical twins, each is noticeably different. So these twin truths, okay, the costliness of the treasure and the pearl, and then the delight that we see of the purchaser. A guy by the name of Hendrik Van Loon wrote of this world. He says, ours is a fifth-rate planet revolving around a tenth-rate sun in a forgotten corner of the universe. So that kind of put things into perspective, right? But we have Jesus, don't we? And Jesus assures us that this world, <laughs> it is the object of his concern and the one which he purchased for the manifestation of his glory. So, Father, as we open your word here and we consider these parables together this morning, would you please, Father, allow your word to go deep, to speak that we would respond well for your glory, God, that we would get it and get it right. We ask in your name. Amen. So, let's look at this hidden treasure together and the treasure hunter. He says again in verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for the joy or for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. So some definitions for you and I. See, since Jesus didn't interpret uh, these parables for us, there's been a lot of Uh, interpretations given (laughs) to what people think he is talking about here. But if we look at some definitions, I think it will help you and I. First of all, if we consider the field, that is speaking to the world, right? The habitable globe, the kingdom reign. So the kingdom of God, definition of that, it is the reign of God. It is the saving reign of God. It is the saving reign of God that is partly present and partly future. And it is the present and future saving reign of God and of Christ. Defining treasure, that would be the redeemed, the church, you and I. A man, the purchaser, who's that? Jesus, right? So the purpose of buying the field was to own the treasure. So the field, the world. For God so loved the world, 
right? But not for the planet's sake and not for just one nation, not just for the elite or the rich and the powerful, but he reached out to the unlovables, lepers, to people who detested him, Manasseh, to the ones that had been too busy for him, like Matthew, the tax collector, to those who were too rich for God, Zacchaeus, and even those who were working directly against God, Saul. For God so loved a sinful world. Think about that. Every race, rich or poor, powerful or powerless, male and female, democracies and even dictators, Israel and Iraq, abusers, defenders, those trafficked and their traffickers. Heck, God even loves Democrats and Republicans. You guys still let me finish! <laughs> and Republicans. Oh, jeez. That's the love of God, guys. For God so loved a sinful world, okay, for the treasure out of the world. Charles Wesley's hymn, Amazing Love, How Can It Be That Thou, My God, Should this die for me. Think about that. Think about it. That's rich. I want to share the hymn with you guys this morning, so please listen. If you know it, please sing along. If you can't sing well, sing quietly.
See, guys, the gospel is not what we can do for God, but what God has done for us. R.C. Trench, who is an archbishop of Dublin, he said, the oriental custom of this day, that rich men would divide their goods into three parts. He said that one would be put into commerce for their support, then one would be put into jewels that they might have easy uh, currency um, be easily carried around and then thirdly they would take some and bury it so it's very interesting that the next three parables guys this is really cool burying a treasure finding a jewel and the next is commerce by fishing hmm 
So this man plowing, digging in the field, okay, it's not his, but he seemed to turn up a treasure chest. Maybe the picture of a peasant here who was working in the field of his wealthy landowner found a treasure, but covered again, lest the landowner would claim it for himself. So how many of you guys have ever found a treasure? A few of you guys? Hi, my new best friends. Let's go to lunch. Were you guys out somewhere? Was it in an old attic? Oh, and that's why you guys do marriage ministry. <laughs> you know, maybe in a garage or a garage sale, you found something. Uh, Pinterest, don't encourage you guys to look on there. You'll never stop. Um, I remember as a kid, I collect uh, coins. My parents got me one of those coin books, and every time I'd get a penny, they're like, oh, what year is it? Do I, you know? Uh, or Garbage Pail Kids. How many of you guys remember those? All right, very nice. That's about as good as my treasures got. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> but treasures are still being found. That's the thing that's so fun. That's why some of the movies we watch are so awesome. Like, oh, that really could happen. Uh, you guys remember the shepherd boy um, throwing the rocks up into some caves back in November of 1946? Climbed up in there and he found the Dead Sea Scrolls, the greatest find in modern history and we're so thankful as believers for all that stuff all that can't be true all those prophecies in the bible that stuff was put in there after it happened ha ha anyways (laughs) um last may uh there was a treasure trove uh that was found in ancient uh cargo ship uh was found off uh the shore of israel Uh, A couple of divers of this ancient Israeli port in Caesarea brought up some items that were seabed. Uh, There were some bronze statues down there, coins, uh, different artifacts that go all the way back. This cargo ship goes back 1,600 years. What a find. That was just last year. That's pretty awesome. They found over 44 pounds of uh, coins with Constantine on them. I mean, how cool is that? Um, But back to our parable. He sold all he had, okay? So God is trying to get a point across to you and I here. He parted with all he had so we didn't buy our lives into the kingdom, okay? None of us can. In Philippians chapter two, verse seven, we're told that Jesus emptied himself. So he divested himself of his visible glory to come and to purchase this treasure. He gave up everything. So only uh, of an outward, invisible manifestations of the Godhead there. So God may change form, but he can never cease being God. Does that make sense? Okay. That's what Philippians is talking about. Uh, so we see here, okay, um, do you guys remember uh, what Jesus asked for, okay, when he was in the garden there in John chapter 17, the first four or five verses? Do you remember what he asked the Father? that he could have the glory he once had. He wanted to go home and receive that glory once again. So he became a beggar, even though of himself, and up to this point, he was rich. So when the Lord purchased the world, he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't looking for another planet to purchase, right? No, that's not it at all. He wanted the treasure which was buried in the world. He wanted you That's what this parable is saying. That's why this parable is so cool and why we should get it right. Um, 
Let's look at the next one. The merchant in his expensive pearl. Very valuable, priceless. How many gals have pearls? Only a few of you guys. My new besties, you can come to lunch with the rest of us. Again, I'm just kidding. I'm not like that. 45 and 46. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. So from the formal, formal, uh, former parable that we just read, the man discovered by ancient, or by accident, sorry, the, the treasure that was in this field, but now we have this guy, okay? This merchant man was seriously, and he was deliberately, I want you guys to get this, he was searching for flawless pearls, Okay, he was a businessman okay, of life. The treasure was found because the pearl was sought. So definitions for you and I in this parable, the merchant would be who? Jesus, right? So the pearl would be the redeemed, the church, you. And then the purchased, how was, how was the church purchased? It was on Calvary. It was the blood that Jesus shed, guys. His life. So the merchant, I want you guys to first note that the kingdom of heaven was like. It was not a pearl. It was like, okay, but a merchant. And that's the important part here, but a merchant. So the term used here, merchant, had primarily a meaning of one who travels abroad by ship to acquire his wares, okay? If you guys remember Strong's Concordances, Oh, good, a few of you guys. I, I love them. Now we have our smartphones that you just hit the word and it'll tell you what the Greek means. But in Strong 17, 13, the word here for the merchant, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, I want you guys to see that this wholesaler is distinguished. Okay, he's, he's different than what a retailer dealer would be. It portrays Jesus then as one who was a connoisseur and he knew all about the pearls. He knew what he was looking for. He wanted the finest. And that's where this Greek word comes out, emporos. It talks of a merchant, the word used here, but it's different than any other Greek merchants because this merchant is, is, was opposed uh, to being a retailer or a tradesman, Okay. He was a specialist in that field. Um, so inferior pearls would come from the Red Sea of that area. They knew that. The better ones would come from the Persian Gulf and then off of India's coast. He had discernment. He had knowledge as to their real worth. And he could not be deceived by the sham production. Do you guys know they can make pearls real quick now? Okay, good. So the merchant was a superior person who knew the value of the jewels. Think about that. It's talking about you guys. He is thoughtful, he is earnest, and he's anxious for the best things. So know this also. Pearls, in so uh, far as their value was known uh, then, were specifically and particularly for the adornment of kings. That's what they were used for. So Jesus purchased us that he might eternally possess us. So the merchant found me, found us, his church, the redeemed out of his kingdom and gave his all for us. And he bought us for a costly price, didn't he? 
So the purchase, none of the ransomed will ever know all that's involved in the price that he paid to redeem people as his pearl. Though he was rich, yet he became poor. Do you guys understand that? Creator God, I don't even grasp. He gave all that up to become like his creation, like me and you. Can we really grasp that? You know, but he became poor. Yet to purchase us, he became poor. This heavenly merchant man had no money or possessions to barter for the pearl. He gave one's most precious possession, his own blood, his own life. So assessing our value, he paid the price and he never regretted his purchase. Can I say that again, guys? He never regretted his purpose. Did you hear it? He never regretted his purchase for you. You need to know that, saint. So I want to share some myths about pearls. If you guys want to have a fun study, watch some documentaries, Google Pearls. Early Chinese myths told that pearls were falling from the sky. Okay, It's when, when dragons were fighting up there. Um, ancient legend says that pearls were thought to be tears from the gods. Okay, the Greeks believed that they were wearing pearls uh, would promote their marital bliss then, okay, and prevent their newlywed women from crying. Um, 520 BC was the oldest pearl jewelry fragment that we found, and it was in the sarcophagus of a, a Persian uh, princess. Uh, the shell or the mollusk is what determines the coloring of the pearl. You guys know that pearls aren't always white, right? Okay, good. A lot of different colors. They range from different colors. I've seen gold ones. There's purple ones, black ones. Look it up online. There's a ton of different ones. Um, and no two pearls are alike. I think that's pretty cool. None are alike. So the pearl is valuable and beautiful. Makes me think of Psalm 45, verse 11. Yeah, you can write it down. Psalm 45, verse 11. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is the Lord. Worship him. So though pearls were not counted precious by the Jews, okay, um, and never mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament, but in the first century, uh, uh, first century of the Christian church era had become a status symbol of very wealthy people. They're the ones that had the pearls. Some see the treasure speaking of the Jews, and then the pearls would be that of believers. Okay? Um, however, Jesus knew all about history, right? He knew history of the pearl, too, where it came from, how it's formed, and how, what the real value is. So a pearl really is a product of a living organism, which is not true of any other precious stone. Think about that. Pearl's the only one, so there's something unique about the pearl. It begins with nothing more than a foreign substance stuck in the shell of an oyster. Not usually sand either, guys. Usually a biological intruder, a parasite organism. A lot of times it's those little drilling worms. Okay? A foreign substance is pretty useless in and of itself. It's worthless by itself. And it's an irritant of itself. So is everyone who's outside a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? Guys starting to see the picture here? That's who we are without Jesus. An oyster continually surrounds the irritant with uh, crystalline, substance it's called necker um, in which it hardens over years slowly 
gradually in the dark. <laughs> it's growing. So out of much suffering, an object of beauty is produced. So Jesus' blood continually covers us over and over and over again. And over with this special necker of his glory, continuously secreting that necker of his love all over us, all the way to heaven. So it causes us to be transformed, giving a beautiful white luster, turning us into a glistening jewel of delight. So an old, dirty grain is no longer recognizable. Isn't that cool? How many of you guys can testify to that? Who you are now in Christ to the person who you were before. Oh, yeah. Who is that guy? What happened? Jesus happened, right? Um, that's what God does. So did you know you can't even find what originally was put inside that pearl to start it if you cut it in half? It's just gone. Okay? Behold, all things become new. The old pass away. You are a new creation in Christ, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Pearls are cool. So when Christ returns, his church will be ready as his pearl in its purity as well as in its beauty as fit for a gem for his imperial diadem. So once its home was the depths of the sea, in the muck, in the mire, and trying to avoid the scavengers of the depths, now brought up, valued, priceless, flawless. I wonder... Uh, then if that's why every entrance into heaven, you guys know there's 12 gates there, okay? They're all of giant what? Pearl, Pearl right? Revelation 21, 21 says this, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. That's where we get the same pearly gates from, Right? Oh, this is just up here for fun, at the pearly gates. Hey, here comes a priest, a rabbi, and a minister. I wish I knew a joke. <laughs> Look online, there's a lot of fun ones. <laughs> so maybe to remind us, guys, that every time we see or we pass through them, we'll be reminded of what Jesus suffered for us, okay? The time of our preparation and his whole process of making beauty out of ashes. So Christ is the only door to heaven, but its capital city has 12 gates, so the redeemed may come from all points of the compass, from every tribe and nation. Think about that. That's our God. He so loved the world, all the world, every single human being. I love it. So we desire a revolution. I don't know if you guys pray for a revival. I sure do. I'd love to see a public revival happen in my lifetime. It'd be beautiful. But maybe, thinking of the pearl, our Christian life is to be a slow, long obedience in the same direction. This is something that really spoke to me this week. I really want to encourage us is a church family. A layer by layer of Christ's love wrapping around our lives. Thus we plod on in the same scriptures, in the same truths, 
in the same worship, listening to the same Bible teacher. But we can sing like we mean it, right? We can worship in spirit and truth. We can rejoice when the gospel is faithfully being preached. We can bear with those that hurt you. You can give people the benefit of the doubt. You can say hi maybe to that teenager that seems alone. Or maybe take that new couple out for coffee. But I want to encourage you guys with Zechariah 4.10. Don't despise the days of small things. Don't despise them, guys. We've been in Matthew for a year now. Lord willing, we'll finish Matthew in this next year. But I'm okay with that, guys. I'm okay with just taking two parables this morning, verse by verse. It's a prophet Isaiah said, God said, a little here, a little there, line upon line, precept upon precept. That is good for us. A lot of us want something now, something big, ready for change. Let's make it happen. 2019's upon us, Pastor. What are we going to do? <laughs> We're going to do what we've always done. We're going to keep looking to the Lord. We're just going to be faithful to what He sets before us. We're not going to despise what He's asked of us, no matter how small or how big. We're just going to do that. And I think through that, He does His work. Okay? Very simple. It's not going to be a program, it's not going to be this group or that. Okay, it's just going to be those little things of just being faithful with what God's called us. Amen? Amen. Cool. Wow, I told Gina we'd be done by 11 and we got 10 minutes. See, Sonny? I can do it. Let's stand up. I would love to pray with you guys. Did you guys learn a little bit from these two par parables you haven't seen before? You know, it's, it's good. I want to encourage you guys, as you study the scriptures, pause and pray. Ask, what are you saying here, God? What's the point of this? You know, it's like what went over these two parables this week. It just kept me bringing me back to it's all about the blood of Jesus. It's all about his blood, guys. If he didn't come to die, if he didn't care, if... <laughs> for the joy that was set before him, guys. He went to the cross. You guys understand that? He endured leaving all he had, his glory and humbling himself. It was for you and I. Okay? That never gets old, guys. That's the beauty of the good news. That's the gospel, and that's what we have to share with the world, guys. What a privilege, what a blessing. So, Heavenly Father, we just take a moment to say thank you Thank you that you loved this world, that you love each and every one of us, no matter how off <laughs> we are, how sinful we've been. You just love us. And we thank you for your faithfulness. Even when we're faithless, you're faithful, God. You keep doing a work. And for some of us, we feel like it's real slow. <laughs> it's taken forever, God. And I, I think that's okay. I think that's the way you've designed it.
But all we can do, Lord, is just let you do your thing. So we want to we yield. We don't want to grieve your spirit. We don't want to get in the way. We want you to lead. We want you to do according to your good pleasure. So we cry out, Father, humbly that you would do because we know you know best. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. We thank you that in your eyes we're a treasure. But we would pray, Father, that in our eyes that we would treasure you above all things. I'd establish that in our hearts, please. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.